much to the Neutral Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, joined as ever by the fabulous Kim. Hello. And the recently demoted Ari. Hello. The meaner she is about the sound, the meaner I am to you. Demoted. And what's your name again? I said my name at the no. beginning. No, you skipped right over it. You know who I am. So welcome to <laughs> Season 2, Episode 6, Doomsday Machine, or as I like to call it, Revenge of the Cream Horn. <laughs> So guys, straight up, we might have an argument because I love this episode and we'll defend it to the death. Kim, um, it was adequate with feelings. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I wasn't actively railing against it and shaking my fist and screaming, oh, this is terrible. And I appreciated the emotional content. Do you often watch episodes of original series with two fists shaking at the television? Yes. Please see almost every episode of season one of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Ari? It was good. I like this one. It's a really solid original yeah. series episode. It's an exceptional, but yeah, really solid is a good no, word. No, it is a... It, no. Who said not exceptional? You? Ari? Yes. Ari, you want to fight me? You want to fight me? <laughs> no. I'm tiny but scrappy. I do I, not want to fight you. I will say... In general, I have been enjoying season two much, much more than season one. I haven't felt the primal rage that I got a lot of the time. I don't come out like hating myself and just wanting to die. So, (laughs) glad. Are you sure? Who mourns for Apollo? I was pretty bad, but I did not make me as ragey as some of the other ones in season one. That's fair. It's been a good season thus far. Oh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, I would like to put forward a strange theory. Okay. That mm-hmm. I was gesticulating during this episode that helps explain certain of the plot points is that Kirk actually has psychic powers. <laughs> Specifically, he has psychometry where he's able to touch things and then glean information from them. Well, that's an interesting theory. Evidence, please. Is that... Actually, he doesn't even need to touch them. He looks at them because he takes one look at this doomsday device, which is kind of like a (laughs) ragey telescope, and is able to somehow intuit its entire history. I really enjoy that you have gone with Kirk has psychic powers and not this was badly written. Okay, but there there is evidence from other episodes... (laughs) Where, um, the parallel universe one. Badly um, written. Lazarus, Pazarus, Nazarus. <laughs> that he somehow, <laughs> somehow is able to take a look at Wispy Beard and go, okay, so there are parallel universes and some of them are negative and some of them are positive. Badly written. No. So I will now have to rewatch all of the original series With this in mind, that Kirk is actually a psychic. He has special powers beyond the power of his gorgeous nipples. I'm going to have to watch for this now. Right? Because nothing else makes sense. Kim, shut your face. Bad writing. Okay, but not acknowledging the fourth wall. It's a solid theory. I mean... Thank you. Yeah. Because there's no reason at any point why he should make the deductions that he does. I mean, we do not have the benefit of a Starfleet education. No. <laughs> which is unfortunate because I think we would have killed it. Ooh, we should save that for a mini episode of what, de- like, stream we would have went in if we'd been at Starfleet Academy. Oh, definitely. Obviously, command. <laughs> of course you would. Obviously, command. Um, it's really interesting that you're going with this whole Kirk is psychic theory because I came into this today with the idea to talk about, like, 
if they had spent a little less time on shots of the evil cream horn, thank you, cream, <laughs> You're welcome. and a little more time on the story and developing what was going on and creating any kind of history or backstory or logical explanation for why things are happening, I think I would have enjoyed this episode more. I am actually okay with the fact that we don't know anything about the cream horn. And it's called, in kind of later things, a berserker. A planet yeah. eater. I, I like the idea of it just comes out of nowhere. And no one knows we where it comes no from. We have no information about it. I'm okay with oh, that. Oh, that I'm completely yeah. okay with, that too. Um, I think where it lost me was a little bit around the idea of, like, this is a doomsday machine like the old H-bombs to prevent... That's where the metaphor broke down for me, or the discussion broke down for me, because I was like, if that was the case, we would have to be really intimate with this enemy. I'm okay with it being like an enemy from ancient times and something that was just left over and then never meant to be used and then accidentally used and then they probably got eaten. I'm okay with not knowing the backstory about about it. I like it just being presented as the problem. My issue with the episode, and usually we give like performance of the episode to someone. I'm giving the anti-performance of the episode <laughs> to William Wyndham. Who played Matt Decker because I do not think he pulled that off. No. He was chewing every piece of scenery <laughs> was... on there. Like he went out and he bought a box of evil cream horns and was nomming on them for the entire thing. He was out scenery chewing William Shatner. But not in a good way. No. I don't think he was well cast no. because the entire emotional weight of essentially the first half of the episode. And Kim, I think you're right that if it had focused more on Decker's journey yes. in the hands of a better actor, yes. this would have been a much stronger episode because his arc is very interesting. Yes, it is. And that's when I say when I say that it was adequate with feelings and I was mm. okay for the feelings, mm. that's the portion that I was like I wanted more of and I enjoyed was the whole Decker thing because I thought this was really, really sad and really kind of disturbing in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it very much is. Like his journey is Awful. Oh, and yeah. Awful. It's, it's really... This episode is dark. It's, it's very, very dark. dark. It is And from dark. very early on. It's heart... It's like... It's like... It rips your heart out, like, throws right. it on the ground, stomps on it a few times, and then... I'm sorry, I love this description, and hucks it inside the evil cream horn. <laughs> I was just calling it the telescope, but an evil... <laughs> the telescope. <laughs> a telescope. But evil cream horn is so much better. It is. Yeah. I'm sure Mary Berry would approve. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I really struggle with that because you're quite right, Kim. It is good as it is. It's very dark. And I think they actually allow it to go there. Decker commits suicide. Yeah, oh, he yeah. does. Absolutely. And, and they say it, that, too. Yeah. yeah, like that. It, it's so dark. Like a guy kills himself in this episode. And I mean, for the time that we are talking about, oh, yeah. that is huge. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would have liked to, but can understand why they may be could not explore that a little bit longer. Like, make that the big focal point of the episode. Mm-hmm. And kind of his relationship with Kirk was the other part where I didn't yeah. quite feel that that came together. No, mm-hmm. not at all. I thought Kirk was... Um, the way the way the episode was written, Kirk was too aggressive and irritated and mean to Decker, and there was none of the sympathy, sympathy, sympathy that I was expecting. Probably because Decker was giving him nothing to work with. Sh- Shatner! Sh- Shatner prefers working with Shatner, but... 
I, I, we've seen him but, have friendships with other like past I, comrades. Other commodores, but I don't feel like. And Kim, you're right. There wasn't enough in the writing. That's yeah. That's yeah. where I'm coming. It should from. have been like a parallel journey. Like Kirk, if you had made one bad call, yeah. That at any point, I mean, that's that's what command deals with it. At any point, you might make a bad decision based on the facts that you have, yeah. and it's just luck of the draw that could end up. On your hands, the blood of 400 people. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that was really sort of really, really dark about it is Decker did what he thought he was supposed to do. He got everybody off of a ship that was damaged. Mm-hmm. And that's what he says to Kirk. He says, I stayed behind. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Isn't that what a captain does? Yeah, exactly. And then everybody died and he was the only one who lived. And in that situation, that's not supposed to happen. It's the captain mm-hmm. who's supposed to die. The captain who goes down with the ship and yeah. saves the crew. And so that was extremely dark. And it would have been really nice to see some kind of exploration of Kirk's feelings towards that and Kirk and like the relationship between Decker and Kirk and have them and they didn't go there they just went with Kirk being angry at Decker for having feelings also for stealing his ship and almost killing everyone on yes, board and which that- legitimate concern but I, I get what you're saying yeah. Kim and I feel like they made the mistake early in the episode by separating them yeah. Yeah. and they separated them very very fast and that's because essentially they had their A story and their B story going but I really felt that the episode would have been much stronger if they'd allowed them to interact a little bit when Decker had a little bit more emotional stability. Because essentially once he gets back on the ship, then he has a sense of purpose. But when Kirk meets him, he's distraught and not in his right mind. catatonic. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like having them meet as captains, but they yes. don't. I mean, imagine that, that scene where Decker is, they've just woken Decker up from his stupor or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's, he is that whole, you know... You know, I sent them down to the ship. I stayed. Isn't that what a captain's supposed to do? Yeah. If that had happened 10 minutes later in the episode yes. with Kirk and him alone together in the Enterprise sick bay. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that. That would have been a phenomenal scene. And I just it would have been such a good place to explore all of the feelings about being a captain. And yes, exactly. My favorite thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's turning into one of my favorite things, to be quite honest, as we've gone Sam. through this. Yes. So... Yeah, so that, and that's, so yeah, that's why this episode for me was only adequate, because they didn't take the opportunities that they had available to them, and I think had this episode been made today, Mm, it would have been very different, and it would have done all of these things that we're asking for. Absolutely. And Kim, I get it, it's missing that one emotional beat between the two captains. Yes. And... I'm sad, but I still think this is a great episode in the way that it it allows itself to be really dark. Like, in a way that I don't think we've seen before. Extraordinarily dark by comparison, yeah. And this is the kind of TV I like. You know, Mm. I'm always saying the darker the better. And you guys always mock me for it. But this is why. Because when it gets dark like this, and when it gets into the heavy emotions, that's where you get the real exploration of, like, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to exist? What does it mean to, you know, insert life experience here? I don't think a show necessarily has to be dark all the time to achieve that. I mean, Star Trek is usually, most Star Treks are not very dark. Like, they get dark, but they don't, by their nature, they are not dark shows. But the, it is the, not a dark universe. There are episodes of Next Generation. Episodes, and, yeah. And DS9 that I argue yeah. are quite dark. Yeah, and absolutely. And DS9 Trek- more than the others. But the whole point is that the world is and can be better, and you get moments of darkness, but ultimately you overcome them. Except for in the pale moonlight, of course. Yeah, well, what I would say, though, is, like, with the episodes that we get later on where you have, like, A, B, and C stories, mm. it allows you, every episode, put at least one character through some kind of an emotional ringer to explore their feelings and their attitudes and their reactions to certain situations. Mm-hmm. And that's what the character development stuff that the later series does 
um, is what's really good about them. Mm-hmm. And this, this series, Next Generation, or Next Generation, original series just doesn't have the space for that, even though it's got it also 50 minutes of one story. It also wasn't customary at this yeah. point in television. It wasn't like character development was not really something that episodic television gave crap about. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to the 90s, it's standard. It's something that the, the creators know the audience cares about, and it's even more so now. See, I, and again, Ari, I would argue with you. I think Star Trek can be very, very dark. But can it, be, certainly. It deals with it in an optimistic yeah. way. The point of having the darkness is to, one, to explore issues. Yes. And which... two, for character development. But three, to overcome the negative things that hold us back. Although sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't, I mean, but those are exceptions. And later. Like, original series, they usually deal with it, move on, and have a quip-off. Yeah. Yeah. But... Which, this one ends with a super cute shot of Kirk, let me just say. I just had... Cutie shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a fantastic episode to really talk about. And it starts with, like, it's a very simple plot. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that happens. No. And it is a ticking clock, as it always is. Always. Always, always. Uh, it has Scotty pulling a miracle out of his sack. Yep. Um, it has Kirk being captain, um, Spock again committing mutiny. It has Stranger Bitch. Where the hell's Uhura? That was the first thing I noticed about this episode. <laughs> Who is this sitting in Uhura's chair? <laughs> like, she was fine. She was oh, lovely. She, was she did a good job. But I'm like, they came on, she came on the screen. I was like, who is this stranger bitch and where is Ahura? We'll call her Lieutenant Imposter. <laughs> I think her name was Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. Imposter. Did Michelle mm-hmm. Nichols just have the day off? I, I guess. Know. I don't know. It's, and again, we think about television in very different ways than yes. they, where they were doing like show to show to show to show and a contract didn't necessarily mean you were tied to it in the same way that they did contracts for most players. So I think sometimes with not the main characters, like, they kind of came and went for a really long yeah. time. Like, we see, like, Sulu isn't in this episode either. Now there's Chekhov. Sulu, no, Sulu is, Chekhov, Chekhov isn't. isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of weird. Like, we're not used to having that kind of revolving door of what we would consider very main characters. But yeah. they, they didn't necessarily, like, if she had another commitment or was doing something else. And because they essentially owned them, they could just kind of farm them out to whoever they wanted. And it's a lot easier to get away with on a show like Star Trek, which is basically a show about a military ship where you would have yeah. rotation and people off shift. I mean, really, if you think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense that we see as much of the regular crew on any Star Trek series as we do all the time in every episode. We work the day shift. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but they would have like three or four shifts at once on a ship, so probably you wouldn't see everybody all the time. Twelve-hour shifts, or did you do eight? Some of them are different because I remember there's one. There's an episode of Next Gen where what's his face right. comes and takes over the ship when um, Picard and Crusher and Worf go off to do a mission, and he like changes the shift, and everybody's really pissed about oh, it. Oh, Captain Jellico. Yeah, because he wanted four shifts, and the Enterprise normally it had three, and yeah, so it seems like it. Varies. I mean, you want people to be on their tippity top all the time. Yes, because so. it's a spaceship. You would imagine you need a lot of concentration. I think I would do like a very short, short shift, like a six-hour shift. Yeah, but then you'd have to do lunch breaks as well, so you yeah. need some kind of lunch coverage. Mm-hmm. Like, do they do lunch coverage, or would they do like a five-hour shift and then lunch and then come back, or do like three hours and then lunch and then come <laughs> we back? We really need the new Star Trek in 2017 to be Star Trek scheduling logistics. <laughs> I'll be totally Star, okay Trek with that. Star Trek Star Trek H- HR. <laughs> they also oh, there's another point in this when they're talking about pay. They get paid. I miss. I miss. That. Yeah, pay is something that only gets mentioned in the original series. Doesn't even get mentioned in the movies. I don't think. Is I think maybe money? in passing. It's. I don't think they did the explicit 
there is no more like dirty currency on earth until later. Um, yeah. Next Gen talks about it numerous yeah. times. DS9 is very explicit about it. Voyager, I can't remember, but it doesn't matter because they're stuck in another galaxy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, on Deep Space Nine, even though, you know, Earth may not have its, the yeah. Federation may not have a currency, there is like, Currency that happens in the galaxy that people need. Yeah. Well, specific- Gold press latinum. And yeah, there's others too. I mean, specifically it's humans that don't use money, but that just means so humans on earth. Stuff? Well, I think Idyllic it's like utopia. Yeah. No money required. Yeah. Yeah. But if you were dealing with, let's say, or no, the Frankie or. Well, they definitely have a credit system on Earth, but I think it's like you have a job, you have this much credit allocated to you, depending on what your job is. But they don't yeah, but really isn't have that just money. It's not. I don't that's know. Money. That's, that's money. money. That's what it money is. is. That's what it money is. is. But we never actually see human beings on Earth paying for things, so I don't know. And that's something I really wish Roddenberry had explained how money works in a system where yeah. other people are going to be asking for money. Yeah. So I don't know. I think this is something that we should keep an eye on going yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. Because they talked about this before when. When last episode, Kirk's like, "Do you know how much Starfleet has put into you?" They've made that Spock joke several like, times. Yeah, it's one th- hundred thousand, two hundred twenty. And then in this episode, Kirk talks about uh, Scotty getting. They've a raise. invested. Yeah, yeah. Scotty getting a raise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, he makes the same argument to Decker. They've invested so much, and you were stronger with you than them with that. We are not stronger with you than with that. Yeah, we well, <laughs> we don't we don't meet Decker until like, yeah catastrophe is happening. He's like, but when oh. he makes the argument, no longer accurate. Yeah, but let's, um, let's yeah. get started. Yeah. yeah, so they are res- our intrepid crew is responding to a distress call from the USS Constellation. Mm-hmm. Dumb name for a ship. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it right out there now. <laughs> I hate it. And uh, then I have the note, where is Ahura? Yeah. <laughs> and they come across an entire solar system that's been destroyed. Again. Again! Yeah, this happens a lot. Space is dangerous, guys! It's just, it's a cheap way of raising the stakes. Yeah. Immediately. Garthnex? Yeah. I mean, even in Star Wars, they only destroyed two planets and a moon. Yeah. In the entirety of the six movies. Seven. Well, no, more now. Four. Four. I stick with four. <laughs> I stick with four. But yeah, this, this is so sloppy. I hate this yeah. so much. Oh yes, entire solar system. Although we don't know that there are any people there. Well, yeah. actually, like two, because they were like we they went and extrapolated back a path. I think it's like two or three star systems. Mm. Anyways, everyone is dead. Yep. And um, Kirk says, "Oh, it's incredible." Not at this point. No. Is it? Why? Didn't you just see this like two weeks ago and then two weeks before that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. They talk about how only a Nova could do this, but is that... Or like any one of six things that you've already encountered. (laughs) That's true. But a Nova is a star exploding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it create a black hole? Not necessarily. necessarily. Or it just explodinates. And takes out planets? It can explodinate and destroy the solar system. It can also explodinate and then get smaller again, but not necessarily become a black hole. It can do a lot of things. Stars are crazy. Sounds good to I me. I also am not sure that previous monsters of the week or events of the week have actually destroyed the planets. They've wiped out the populations of planets. Have I they actually destroyed like planets? come across a destroyed solar system. Yeah, very possibly. Anyways, so Kirk is wearing his green shirt again. 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 Yeah. I yeah. do not like this shirt. I think in this case it's to differentiate him from Decker. Yes, it is. In that he's a competent captain and Decker is no longer yes. one. I don't know. It feels like, because like, I mean, we've seen this before as Kirk's like dress uniform. It feels, yeah, I think it's so just his lounge It feels uniform. like to me is like Shatner was like, I need to stand out more. Which I can readily believe. However, he looks much better in the gold than he does in the green. It makes him look washed out and old. Yeah. And I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> so they're, they, 
Kirk knows that the constellation is uh, Commodore Matt Decker's. Decker. It's not his fault. You can't. He's responsible for his actions. You can't. Okay. At some point, you know, we don't meet Matt Decker until he's had like a psychotic break. Fine. Or maybe not a psychotic break, but he's at least had an emotional breakdown. It's been a day for him. Fine. That doesn't. That doesn't excuse his later actions. So he's drifting in space. um, Or no, the ship is drifting in space. There's an automatic beacon being sent out. Weird musical cues, right? Oh, really weird. Like, it was like this twinkly, perky music. It's like, guys, that's a spaceship floating around. I yeah. like the visual of the ship dangling. Yeah. It was really kind of very cool. It was. And it's, there's something really spooky about ships drifting around in space. It's the same thing yeah. with like ghost, ghost boats, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Ghost ships is that there's something very spooky and wrong about it because they're, they're built by human hands. They're meant to be inhabited by a number of people. Like they're meant to be alive. Yeah, they're meant to be alive. And with a spaceship, as opposed to uh, like a seafaring ship, there's a really clear visual cue that there is something wrong because in Star Trek, the ships are, you know, roughly um, disc shaped. Yeah, they are going to be oriented in a specific way depending on how you're looking at them. And most ships, I assume, just sort of operate on one plane, which is insane. But it's consistent enough that when you see a ship and it is not you know, oriented the same way you are and like sideways like this one is, you're like, oh, very viscerally, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I make a note about the bridge here, which was very crowded at this point? Mm -hmm. Yes. There were, Kareen, you should be happy, two security guys standing next to the the transport or the the turbo lift. Someone got my memo. Yes. (laughs) Here's the thing. When Kirk calls a red alert and tells everybody, battle stations, battle stations, the two security guys just each take one step forward and get in the way of the ensign or whosoever is just trying to get in the turbo lift. And I was like, what good is that, guys? <laughs> so, Kim, like, it's a new endeavor. This is a new policy. You're <laughs> still working out the It's case. a pilot. It's a pilot. <laughs> My favorite thing about original series is that every once in a while, that when they go to, like, battle stations, it goes up on the computer... <laughs> Yeah. The computer screen saying, condition, alert. <laughs> you guys couldn't see it, but she was making air quote- quotes around the word computer. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we know. Like, we're on the bridge. We can hear it. Everyone can hear it. Yeah. But I guess maybe for those hard of hearing crewmen. I suppose it's possible. Yeah. Like, they listen, they are. I'm sure Starfleet close, has good accommodations. Close proximity to a lot of explosions. <laughs> that is also true. Like, a lot. But on the other hand, they're shouting at their orders all the time. Yeah. Maybe they're all hard of hearing. Hmm. <laughs> they should move to, like, more of a text message system. <laughs> so the ship is depowered, except for life support, the constellation. They can't tell if there's life signs because there's so much interference. By the way, they can't call home. Oh, yeah, BT dubs. They're totally isolated. Or contact the ship at this point, even. But again, I like that. We're kind of separated from home. There's no way of getting into contact. We're here with this ghost ship. Yeah, but that's pretty standard as well. And so they they beam over. They, of course, for no good reason, take the captain um, and Bones, who at least makes sense this time. I had a moment where I was like, how are they going to, like dock their ship to hook up with that ship? Because what if they're trying... Like, okay, what if their transporter was broken on the other end? Or no, they can just transport anywhere, can't they? From the Enterprise. I had a really hard moment of saying, like, how would a ship dock to ship? And I, I thought about, they it, like, two Tyrannosaurus Rex systems. <laughs> <laughs> like, how would you slide in there? And then, anyways. 
Transporter screen. Transporter. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, yeah. Or shuttles or, or EVA. But what if you couldn't transport somewhere because there was too much shuttles? Yeah, but how does the shuttlecraft mount the ship? They also it's have EVA. Shuttle bay? Yeah, but yeah. what if the shuttle bay won't open? I don't know. Jeez, now you're getting into technical work. I am. I am. Well, fortunately, the transporters are working, at least so far. Okay, so to answer your question, it's good that they took McCoy because he's a medical doctor and if there are survivors, you can tell. Scotty, fine, because someone needs to make sure that the ship can actually go places. Kirk, no. No. Stay no on Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. Stay home, Kirk. They also take a damage control party, and I wrote, so you would do have one of those. Damage control. Who I think are mostly engineers. They took a blue and two yellows with them. Sure. Okay. What? It was, my, my, my note on the away team, Kirk, Bones, Scotty, a blue, and two yellows. Like, yeah. So this- There's no so, point giving them names, we're just gonna it's die. So true. Mm-hmm. This episode is an episode in a bottle, or bottle- episode because it's one of those budgetary constriction things where it's yeah. essentially they just reuse all their ships just throw some freaking wires across stuff yep. and done yep. Um, yep which is i love it it's very clever because it also drives home that this could have very easily been the enterprise yeah, yeah. it's all the same but it's just one decision from command and yeah. their destiny is completely well different. it is it is the same class starship as the enterprise they actually do state that so good clever well done yeah it, that's what i was going to say is the same thing it's the exact same design as the enterprise so it would look yeah. identical yeah. except engineering is slightly different it looks just like the enterprise's engineering but with strange mysterious balls everywhere Sorry. There are big metal balls on top of several of the consoles. I don't know why, but they're there. They're very noticeable. I don't know. Honest. I did not see. I don't remember any balls. I I noticed my eyes are peeled for balls. (laughs) Well, ball aficionado. (laughs) These were pretty blatant. There were three or four of them. They were sort of on top of some random consoles. I don't know why. They have balls on. They have little alarm systems. No, they're like big globe things. Like balls. Big like balls. balls. Yeah. Big I don't know. It's big very strange. Big metal balls. Big metal balls. Maybe they're mm-hmm. supposed to be the antimatter containment pods. Maybe they're just to differentiate this I from the, the Enterprise. the antimatter was behind like a it glass is. so that if you accidentally... Oh, you have to die. Yeah, to later on anyway. We do at some point in Deep Space Nine get to see antimatter containment pods, don't we? Sort of. Because I think, do we see them on a ship or do we see them on a station? I feel station? like Michael Eddington escorts a bunch of them through the halls of Deep Space Nine. I think so, Yeah. But the station doesn't run quite on the same stuff as a starship, so it's a different system, and that's what they're worried. The best part is, Kurt goes to their space staff room. It's mm-hmm. like there's no half-empty cups of coffee. <laughs> that's a weird detail for you, Kurt. Yeah. Like, is everyone just chugging back coffee is, all the Is time? their break room always that much of a mess? It wasn't a break room. It was their staff space It was their room. staff room. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. It's like they just, they're just left. There's no survivors or bodies. There's no bodies. Yeah, that was very creepy. It's very Mary Celeste, which of course I love. It doesn't look like there was a fight. They're just gone. No, and they're like, maybe they could have went to a planet. And they're like, no, no, the only planet there is a hell planet. Yeah. Um, that has the temperature. Sorry, um, this is really hard for me to parse. The temperature is that of molten lead? Yeah. Couldn't you just say a degree? It's fucking hot. It's really, really <laughs> hot. Or that. Why not? Oh, it's like if someone was like, oh, how hot is it outside? Well, it's the temperature at which water melts. Couldn't you just say uh, the surface temperature is not survivable? I mean... Or like, just a number. That conveys all the information you need. How hot is it? 15. <laughs> it is hot. Hot damn. Makes yeah. a dragon want to retire, man. Anyways. 
So I, I do love the set. They just kind of dim the lights on everything. Yeah. Yep. And they're just film. I think were they filming at different angles as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like some things were a little bit flipped over, but it's essentially the same set. Yeah. So the phasers are exhausted. So obviously they were in some kind of battle. Um, and they're like, oh, should we ask the computer what happened? They they're going to go look for the log. They're going to go look for the log. And instead of the log, they find Matt Decker and his ugly, ugly day old beard. <laughs> he's looking tired. He's, oh, yeah. As you said, he's had a day. He looks he's rough. had a day and a half. He's looking a little bit rough. He's in a stupor. Yeah. And like in shock. He's definitely in shock. And Kim, I will definitely give you props for this. Kirk has no time for this. No. Not. He just does not give a shit. I'm surprised that he didn't slap him three times and say, pull yourself <laughs> together, man. Well, Bones gets to him first. And then, yeah. Bones does some kind of hypostrain, which kind of brings him out of it. But yeah, Kirk has no time for your tears. No. It was like, I mean, I understand that Kirk is like, there's some urgency to the situation. Yes. That's how but I was like, reading it. Have some human compassion, man. What are you? Some kind of Vulcan robot? For God's sakes. Oh, way to turn those tables. Wow, around. Kim. But actually, I, I did understand this. Um, like, as a command, again, you have to be above emotions. Yeah. And you Freak have out to later. be less than human. Where like, the hell is your crew, man? Yes. Where is everyone? And what happened? Because yeah. they are also in imminent danger. Yeah. Because they don't know what the, what the enemy yeah. is. But again, on a human being <laughs> level, like, give him a mo. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but as you were constantly saying, Korean captains are not human beings. I know. I love it. <laughs> so <laughs> while he is still freaking out in silence, staring at a wall, they actually do access the log and they don't get very much out of it. No, I would also like to say that Decker has a really smooth brooch on him. Yeah. And pronounces Starfleet like star. Leaked. Which <laughs> drove me up the wall. Which again, I'm giving the anti-performance of the episode to William Wyndham. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. though he was on Murder, She Wrote. Oh, was yeah. he? That's, he? That's how mean I'm being to him. <laughs> Did he die on Murder, She Wrote? He played he was... several roles, so I feel like everyone who's on I'm Murder, sure at least one of them died. Unless you're Kate Mulgrew, which you are always the villain. Or the murderer. She's always the villain. Yeah. Every but, like, single time. The she shows up and you're like, oh, Kate. Kate. She's the murderer. Who are you going to kill today? Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. It is. So, here's the time where he he starts to kind of narrate what happened, is that we tried, but no one heard us. We couldn't run. We were trapped. So, I beamed them down. Mm-hmm. And this is where he has that line, that the captain stays behind. That's what, he, and he kind of looks to Kirk. That's what yeah. we're supposed to do. Yeah. This oh, was, it was yeah. gut-wrenching. This was, this was yeah. probably the best part of his performance, and I'm putting performance in, like, yes, little air you. quotes here thank for you, Kareen. But this was the best thing that he did in this episode, yeah. was this, this moment. This was good, and I can see yeah. why he got the job at this point, because it what says, happens yeah. is that, yeah, the trans... The trans- I beam them down out. to the third planet, and... There, there's no... I know there's no devil Jim, but there is... that This thing is right out of hell, and so they're trying to understand, and he's like, I beam the crew down to the third planet, and then they say... There is no third planet. Yeah. And there's this amazing beat. Yeah, there's this just moment of silence. And then he says, don't you think I know that? Yes. And at 400, they called me. They begged for help. I got a chill. It was very It's awful because it seems to imply that essentially he beamed them down. The thing started coming for them. The transporters went out and he could do nothing. nothing. Yeah. Just listen to them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's heart wrenching, especially when you consider that what, like, again, we've said this before, but what he said is that, you know, the captain is supposed to go down with the ship. Yeah. It's the captain who's supposed to be the sacrifice to the, mm-hmm. the big, the big evil. And he wasn't. Yeah. 
Yeah. He did what he was supposed to do to try and save his crew, and it wasn't enough. Oh, so good. So good. So, so good. Yeah, um... So he briefly describes the monster. Not well enough. No. Miles long with a gaping maw. I do like maw. That's a great word. Yeah, Yeah. it is a great word. And it destroys planets. So they they start kind of describing it in ways like a planet eater. Is it a ship? It's alive. It's both. It's neither. Yeah. I do like it. It's kind of... Is there some other science fiction thing which is like a giant, almost like a whale that eats planets or everything in its way and it doesn't... Are you thinking perhaps... Of, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of the, the crystalline, crystalline entity. entity. Yeah. yeah, which is just like a giant space crystal that takes what it wants yeah. and has no feelings and no just real, eats all organic just, life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like I like this kind of construct because it's not evil or bad. I mean, it is in the same way that human beings just kind of eat and destroy everything in their way. Um, Except these ones are, to all appearances, unthinking, implacable, unstoppable. Yeah, so interesting. The crystalline entity used to give me nightmares as a child. Still sometimes Aww. does. Like, genuinely frightened me. I like the crystalline entity as a bad guy because it doesn't have emotion. It's just doing what it does. Crystalline entity does what it wants. So, <laughs> it's at a great this point, t-shirt. They, 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 they do start kind of weirdly speculating. Oh, yes, they just decide this is what happened. So it's an automated weapon of size and power that smashes planets and uses the planets to fuel itself, and that its purpose is to destroy planets, and Sue's so like, well, it came from another galaxy. Because they've tracked its path. What? Guys, guys, how do we get there? Well, the like, galaxy, we the other galaxy weapon? thing, they do have evidence Galaxy for, 5. Because they tracked its path. Sulu, Sulu It came from it. outside of the it. galaxy. I will give it to Sulu. Yeah. Everyone but everything else, though, pure speculation. I laughed out loud when Spock was like, it's a giant robot. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't really scan it because of the interference messes up all their instruments. So they can't really figure out what They can't science on. this out. They can't science it out. So they wildly speculate. And it, decide that this is true. Yeah. What? It's a it's doomsday a machine. It's an Ow. ancient doomsday machine. It's, uh, to go back to the writing, it's mm. the, the Star Trek writers do this all the time to just move past the things that they don't want to have to explore or create or make any kind of logical storytelling reason for. I've honestly only noticed it two or three times and this is like, yeah. Well, it's because when it's really blatant. Field, yeah. Decker is like, well, who built it? Why would they do such a thing? And Kirk, out of nowhere, uses his psychic powers to go, <laughs> oh, well, it's a doomsday machine. It's a weapon used as a bluff. It was never meant to be used like H-bombs. Or they really, really, really wanted to make a mad reference and just couldn't find any other place to put it. There are ways to string that along. Like maybe there's I a could think sign of several on ways. saying, do not use or it in transmits, case of emergency. Or it transmits a message on yes. automated. This is where the episode felt like the, it fell apart for me. This is where the thing fell apart is when they tried to do it's a doomsday machine is mutually assured destruction because they didn't know, know that. that they had like, I mean, you guys have both just postulated like ways to have made that happen. And because they didn't do that, this bit just fell to pieces. Well, the thing is that none of this speculation was necessary. We know it came from outside the galaxy. We know Fine. we can't communicate with it, or at least it's not answering. Fine. We know it seems to behave in certain ways, but they don't necessarily indicate intelligence. That's actually all we need to know about it. We don't need to know a, mysteri- a mysterious ancient backstory that because also give, happens to be a meaningful. Is it there yeah. were two civilizations that at war, they each built some kind of doomsday device that was never meant to be used. 
but then those people died or something like that. And then or they actually loose, turned it on. Or they turned it on by accident. And then it just kept going. Like, it's, like, it's crazy. Fine, but we didn't, don't actually know that. There's we know nothing, nothing. There's nothing to actually prove that. And it was completely unnecessary. We didn't yeah. need that for the story to go forward. As a metaphor, it doesn't work. No. Um, again, not knowing. For one thing, as far as I know, H-bombs don't just keep exploding after you, uh. But again, it would have worked much better if they'd known nothing about it. There's yeah. an Arthur C. Clarke book. It's one of my favorites. It's called Rendezvous with Rama. <gasps> yes. Okay. And it's just a thing comes into the galaxy and it's just traveling past. It's not doing anything aggressive yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And so humans, they, you know, they send a party on to explore. And that's what the book is about. It's just these people, they go in, they find this thing and they're like, we don't know who these people are. We're postulating based on what's in here. And then they have to come out because it's going out of the galaxy. So they have their time. They get up and they leave. And it's an entire book on just being like, we don't know what the hell this is. Let's go take a look at it. And so I think if they had left the mystery in this, that would have been better than this whole attempt to explain that we did not need. Like I could think of several ways you could, you could suggest and at least narratively prove it's not sentient. It's a robot. It's automatic. Fine. That's all you needed. You didn't need, yeah. oh, two civilizations. There was a war, et cetera, et cetera. It was unnecessary. It was unsupported by the, the text for lack of a better term. It's scarier. And it seemed really clumsy. Yeah. It's scarier if you don't, don't know, know where yeah. it's come from yep. and what it's doing. Yep. But I think again, like when you think about the social, layer of what Robin Murray was trying to say yeah. is that if you build an H-bomb at some point, someone's going to use it. Yeah. yeah. If so you build a weapon that can it? destroy everything, it will be used to destroy everything. Yeah, even if you don't, if you at this current point in time aren't going to use it, you don't know what's going to happen in the future with it. No, once it, once a tool exists, it will be used. Yeah, exactly. It's the whole the argument about the iPhone and the FBI. Yeah. It's like, if this key exists, it will be used to open a lock. Yeah. That is what keys are for. So I th- I think that's what they were trying to do, but it was so clumsy. It was so clumsy. Clumped yeah. in. Like, there are many, many more ways of doing that that I, I don't think We just came they... up with, like, seven. Yeah. So call us, yeah. writer of this episode. Call us, CBS. We're here for you. From the past. <laughs> for now. The future. Well, Brian Fuller, we have a Twitter. Tweet at us. We do. We'll help. We do. Yeah. This is so crazy. Um, so and, and the thing is, it's never mentioned again for the rest of the episode. Except until the very end. When yeah. they do a quip out, when that's, that's yeah. what their, their yeah. moral lesson is about. But it has no weight for the episode at all. It's just, it's okay, sure. So, weird. so at this point, they're like, okay, like, Decker, go back to our ship to get medical. We're going to tow the constellation out of the way. Um, and he says to McCoy, like, you go with Decker. And he's like, oh, I never lost a command before. Which is a stupid It's a very strange thing to say. Because I would assume that most people who have, quotation marks, lost a command are dead. Probably yeah. most like, of them. And again, that's really fascinating about command, my favorite subject, is that... If you're doing it right. Well, no. Like, there would be no old hands at it. Like, no people who made an error and were drummed out. Because if you make an error, you're dead. Well, there are... Later on, I don't remember about original series, but, like, Picard lost a command. How do you His first ship. Hand? It was the he got everybody else off, and the, who was he was even star, fighting? It was the stargazer. He was fight, he was an yeah. unknown enemy at the time, but it turns out it was the Ferengi. It was the Ferengi, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the ship was too damaged, and he got everybody else off, and then he left himself. And they evacuated, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I don't know. Did he lose? Is that considered lo- losing a command because well, he he managed to keep his crew together? And he, go, I mean, no, that's where Jack Crusher died, isn't it? I think 
so. Didn't no, that was a different mission. Oh, okay. But, like, the Stargazer, I think as far as they knew, the Stargazer had been destroyed. Yeah. But, like, he lost a command and he's still alive and he's a highly respected captain. I think it very I much depends on the circumstances. Later. And I think in original series, like, we have the episode where Kirk is court-martialed is that command you, you have to be perfect anything less than perfect and we're talking about a simple decision to do something is that they will destroy you but I, I don't think there's any precedent for command here well, like you don't get the sense they've been doing it along like these are their big flagships that they're sending out like I don't think there's old hands well we also just don't know because we don't get that much about the structure of Starfleet in this series. Mm-hmm. Although I should note that Kirk has at least two enterprises. <laughs> so yeah, well, movies aside, but like the idea that I've ne- no that I've never lost a command before. I don't think many people have. I think it usually ends in their death, and that's what makes Decker so upset and so exceptional in the circumstances that I think he's the first one to be left alive after losing his crew and his ship. And his I don't ship. know. It's just the way he says it makes it sound like it's something that happens. Like every day. Oh, I just lost my ship. Like it's like, oh, well, eventually you will lose a command. But really, should that be a thing we're just accepting as normal? The other thing is, the Starfleet is not the first iteration of human beings in space in a quasi-military structure because we have the first war with ugh, the Romulans. That was pre-Starfleet. That was um, Enterprise era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's, there is Starfleet at that point. Yeah, but it's it, not, Earth, it's Earth but it's Earth. not the current, you no. know. So, I mean, I don't know. Enterprise is weird because, like, when they start, like, I think there's more than one ship, but the biggest and the newest and the shiniest is the Enterprise, and there yeah. are other ships, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't know. Within the context of original series, I find it really interesting because as opposed to maybe on the ocean, that if your ship goes down, you have a chance. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, but in space, like, if... Space. You're dicked. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's nowhere to go. Certainly not this far out. You can't swim out to your next planet. Like, you are doomed. Like, we get later on a couple of instances of them rescuing people off of, like, destroyed ships, like, in escape pods and stuff. Yeah. But they're way out on the rim. Yeah. So even if you did escape, who's going to find you? Who's going to hear you? Space is horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I am staying here. So yeah, they beam up to the Red Alert sh- ship to some really sexy music, which I always love. Yeah, Decker is very impatient with all the theorizing because he's like, okay, but your extrapolation that says it came from another galaxy also says it's heading for the most populated part of the Milky Way. That's where it's going. Yeah, so it's dangerous. It's as, and Spock and there's the clock. Spock's like, let's keep our distance. Like we don't need to go in let's there. Let's alert Starfleet. Um, and it shoots. Yeah. It shoots stuff out of its mouth. Yeah, it it's, basically they get up to the bridge. Uh, they they beam back Bones and Decker, and immediately the red alert starts going off, and they run up to the bridge, and there's the monster. Its appearance was kind of interesting because all you see first is the glowing red bit, and then you just yeah. get this long. Yeah. And then you see how big it is. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they did this thing where you see the glow and then it sort of turns very slightly so you can see just how big it is. And you can see the constellation beyond it. And you're like, how, is that really, how, holy shit, that's big. Yeah. It's like a sarlacc. Yeah. Yeah. Its mouth is like the sarlacc in uh, Star Wars. <laughs> or this, or the sandworms. The same. Uh, on Dune? Yeah. Do they get another name? Or are they just sandworms? They have a they have a an arrakis name, but I can't remember it right now. The great worm, the um, 
The wormity worm. Yeah. Okay. I'm blanking. The, I'm sorry, but calling this the, like the cream horn is the best <laughs> thing ever. I was I, just calling it the space okay. worm in my notes, but I do like cream horn a lot You're better. welcome. So because it shoots out this power, the ship... The constellation gets unhooked from the Enterprise, mm-hmm. so of course Kirk is on his own with Scotty. Yeah, they go. They both go spinning off in different directions. Yeah, it's very funny because I think it's I think Spock kind of goes over to Sulu's station is trying to do something, and Sulu very like pushes him back out of the way, like get off my station. Yeah, <laughs> off. So the transporters are out because they're marooned because of course they are because of this is original series. Yeah. So Kirk has to do something. He can't just stand by. And so really, this ship is absolutely um, unable to do anything. It doesn't even have the view screen. So Kirk yeah. is, is freaking out. Yeah. He's, he's literally impotent in this. He's, he's just to sit there <laughs> and watch, and there's nothing he can do. He's yeah. figuratively impotent. Sorry. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what's happening with his junk at this point. <laughs> but I think it would be very hard for him to get it up here. I meant figuratively <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so they're going to try and fix it so they can see the screen. Well, most chillingly, because they beam back and it shoots, and they still have comms at this point. Yes. And Kirk says, okay, everybody keep their distance. You beam us back and we'll get the hell out of here. But the said he says, lower the shields just long enough to beam us out. And the second the shields go down, it fires. Yeah. So it's smart enough to know when they're defenseless, it's, which is an extra sense. layer of creepy. So, and of course, yeah, transporters. At this point, Decker. Oh, God. Oh, Decker. Oh, Decker. Decker starts to earn the nickname Dicker, mm-hmm. which we will be calling him henceforth. Yep. Um, but again, I'm very sympathetic to him because he thinks what he's doing is right. And that's what makes it, his story so compelling. Except yes. it's insane. It, well, he is in some ways the yeah. villain of this piece. And he's he, both. He is putting the entire Enterprise and all of our, our crew, except for apparently for a pointless, pointless attempt ever. Well, yes. But, yeah. And, okay, so the writer of this episode, there were kind of precedents in science fiction short stories, and he'd been kind of shopping one around about these, like a, a star eater or a the star planet killer. Killers, a planet yeah. killer. And, like, he didn't, he like, he, I might have been inspired by that, but was also thinking about Moby Dick. Oh, okay. Oh, and yeah, I, that I makes think sense. we can really see the parallels mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Like, this is his white whale. This has kind of cost him, in this place, his metaphorical leg, which is his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at this point, he just goes full on Ahab. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and listens to zero reason. Because Spock is like, while they are out of contact with Kirk on the extremely screwed up constellation, Spock's like, okay. So we need to get the hell out of here. We need to pick up the people trapped on the constellation because the monster has turned around and is heading for all of those delicious, delicious for the planets. Rigel, Rigel Rigel colonies. Yeah, which and is so a lot of people. This is a really interesting um, debate. So Spock is saying we have yeah. to survive and run away to warn everyone else that this yeah. is yeah. coming. And Decker says, no, we have to, our job is to maintain the life and safety of Federation planets. Right, but Spock's plan will also do that. We need to get ahead of it to warn Starfleet. Yeah, but Decker is saying we need to fight it and destroy it before it gets there. Right, except he's already proven quite effectively that they cannot destroy it with any of the knowledge they have. He seems to think that he made an error, like they weren't close enough is I think what he says. Yeah. I think he's just beyond caring about reason at this point and he just wants to kill that thing because he is Ahab. 
I don't deny that he's... He's not listening to reason. I think this is another place where we don't quite have enough information. Is Spock going to be able to get out and warn everybody, warn the Federation, and then they're going to be able to amass a fleet to destroy it fast enough? Or will it get to Rigel before that happens? At the very least. We don't know anything about the speed that it's traveling. We don't know how far away... I feel like we don't know how far away Rigel is. I would have liked that piece of information. And that's part of the reason why this this episode doesn't work is for the lack of information or too much information. And this time it's a lack. We just don't know if this is actually the right decision or not. I mean, we're led to assume that it's not because Decker is not in his right mind. So obviously it must be the wrong decision, but we're not really given anything to tell us that absolutely it is or absolutely it isn't. I would have liked to know how long it was going to take the monster to get to Rigel versus the Enterprise. But the thing is that Spock said is that he doesn't want to necessarily escape the monster. He wants to get the Enterprise out of range of the monster's interference so that they can send out a warning. They also want to rescue Kirk. They also want to rescue Kirk. But that was like secondary because Kirk was like, just fucking go when he finally gets comms back up. He's like, go, warn everyone. And then whatever, who knows what have happened. So Decker kind of pushes aside all those arguments and says, I'm exercising my Commodore powers. And Spock, oh, another really good cool. Oh, oh Spock was so great Leonard in this one. Nimoy was amazing. This entire yep. section, he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He says you've tried and failed. What you have is a wrecked ship and a dead crew. Yeah. Mm, so good. Yeah. To which Decker responds, shut your face, full phasers. Yeah. yeah. And then just Leonard Nimoy's face when he steps aside here. The eyebrows. And he's just got, oh God, this is, I think, as close to like a pissed off Vulcan as you're yeah. ever going to see. Like, he's mad. It's really, because he's like, the core of this thing is solid Nestronium? Neutronium, I think. Good enough. He's like, we can't fight it. We can't hurt and, it. And Decker's like, shut your face full phasers. At which I love this. Um, we have righteousness on our side. This is my... I love McCoy in a kind of non-professional way. Because I, think, <laughs> I think he is the worst doctor ever. Oh, yeah. Agree. But he's watching this and going, no! Oh, no, 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 stop. Stop, please. Fuck he's crazy doing right now. He's yeah. totally crazy. Please, please stop. He thinks that righteous anger is a weapon. Yeah, we can't, we can't, he's wrong. He's just wrong. We can't let him take control if he's wrong. I really like where Spock is trying to talk to Decker and he's like, you know, if you're medically unfit, we can have you removed. And Bones just basically goes, yup. <laughs> okay, I'll do that right now. And then Spock essentially has to say like, well, you're going to have to get your medical records and I didn't have time to. You'll have to fill out some paperwork. That was house. actually really interesting because later on, um, doctors repeatedly relieve captains of duty just because they think they are unfit. They don't have to prove yeah. anything. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's ever done lightly, and I don't think it's ever done but, without kind of, some kind of medical Well, no, basis. of course. But the reason that Bones doesn't immediately relieve him of command is because he hasn't had the chance to examine him yet. And later on, they definitely have the power to remove them to examine them. I feel because like, Crusher does it like nine times. I feel like that would have been a good idea. Yeah. To, but I love this, and I love how this exposes the deep flaw of the military structure of Starfleet is that if a Commodore shows up and wants to take over the ship, and as we have seen with the diplomat, yeah. they take over the ship regardless of what anyone else is yeah. saying. Like, all the input, and that's what the, all the different officers are there to say. Like, the science officer says this, the medical officer says this, the communication person is saying this. And that information is supposed to feed back into the command, so your captain, who will make decisions based on the input of others. Yeah. But... If we've got a mutiny on the bounty situation here, is that 
there is a flaw in that no one can do anything about that if the captain is making a bad decision. Yeah. They can definitely log that they disagreed with that. And um, McCoy says a lot, like, I'm going to put that in my official record that I don't agree with what you're doing. Yeah. And that's fine. But if they disagree and they know that the captain is wrong, they can't do anything. Well, they are stuck. More than once later on, we have instances where someone is physically removed. Like, you can have someone physically removed and then just fit, prove it later because someone is wrong. I believe you're wrong. I believe you're endangering the ship. I'm having you removed. And as long as the rest of the crew is going along with whoever is doing Which the is relieving. Yeah. Yes, Which it is, is mutiny. mutiny. But mutiny happens after the fact. Is the thing. It's like, are you being relieved of duty because you were endangering the ship or were you committing mutiny? It gets decided later on if everybody doesn't die. No, I'm pretty sure as soon as you remove a captain from active duty without his permission, that is mutiny. But not if later you can prove that he was unfit for command or that he was fucking wrong and endangering the ship. I think that that would it be gets very, clear. very hard to prove. Well, that's what logs are for. I mean, that's why all this documentation happens. It happens a lot later, yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah, from the outside, you could absolutely say that Decker received this information and made a, de- uh, a decision based on his experience with the machine, yeah. and that's fine. And then they committed mutiny because they didn't agree with him. Yeah. Well, it's- I mean, we've established before, Spock is good at mutiny. <laughs> Spock and- is the best at mutiny. I'm surprised that he didn't step in in this situation because... Well, he's very much about the rules, though. He loves the book. Mm. The I mean, part. even when he stole the ship to try and take Pike back to the um, yeah. the hallucination planet, he was still prepared to throw himself back into yeah. the command structure and take his punishment. So, like, he's mutiny, but he mutinies with plans to follow the rules later. Yeah. And, and when Ponfar, he just took the ship and steered it wherever we want, damn the consequences. But he was also not necessarily, like compost mentis at that point but it's so interesting like you and riker relieves picard at least twice that i can remember i know because that's the first officers i feel like there is a story in next gen about mutiny that riker may have been involved in i think was that the one with the phasing ship with the the pegasus yeah And and when he was younger there was a ship that was you know working with illegal technology and they were trapped and I think there was a mute. Like I'm so fuzzy on this right well, now. Well, he kept the yeah. secret, yeah, because the captain ordered him to. Yeah, and he was like, "I should have said no. I should have told everyone. I should have relieved you of command." Which I mean, he does relieve Picard of command a couple of times, but that is like that is what, why you have a first officer, a second officer. You have someone to be a check and a balance. I, That's what an executive isn't a check and a balance. Not on really, this ship because this ship's command structure is extremely bizarre. It's the captain. It's yeah. always the captain. And but it's but when. But what happens is that Decker says, I'm taking control and this is my plan. They do a close-up on most of the main characters and all of them are like... Looking at Spock. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. This is a bad idea. This is a bad plan because we've just told you that it is a bad plan. But they can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And Kirk does uh, ultimately disobey the douchebag idiot diplomat guy. And the guy says, I'm going to have you thrown in jail. And Kirk's like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's also tough because it's like a judgment call thing it is a judgment call thing and again like if they had not if they had succeeded although i don't know how they would have Mm. like if spock had taken control and run i think they would have had a legitimate case for mutiny yeah but i also think that if he had succeeded in warning the untold millions of innocent civilians in that thing's path and they managed to get evacuated because of what he did they'd probably let him off with a warning it's one of those that that's why they have military courts yeah. Like, that's why I you have find rules. It's so interesting. Like the commander, the commander and captain honestly doesn't have to listen to anyone. No. 
And they're not really accountable to anyone but Starfleet. And they have such vague orders that really they could do whatever they want. Yeah. Again, Starfleet HR. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. Yeah. Um, so Spock just has to stand there. He doesn't go back to his station. He no, he's just there standing there really close to Dicker. Um, at this point, we go back to Kirk on the Constellation and he is welding very sexily. <laughs> Oh, can I just make a quick note here? Yes, Kim. For this entire thing, basically, until he leaves the bridge again, Decker is, like, fiddling with stacks of post-it notes. Yes. They're the weird little disc things. And I think they are the last logs of the constellation. That he's been carrying around with him. Because he has them in his hand when they first come across him in the computer room, and he never lets go of them. Yeah. Oh, I did not realize that. I just noticed them for the first time here, and I was just like... Why is he playing with post-its? But now that you know that, is that not beautifully tragic? It is beautifully tragic. It is very tragic. The last voices of his crew is all that is left of them. That is so tragic. Oh, so good. Doesn't make me like him anymore. No. So the first thing they get up and running on the ship is the view screen. And Kirk turns on the TV (laughs) and looks out into space and goes, what the fuck is he doing with my ship? God, I fixed the TV. I need my pictures. Everything from Kirk from here on in is amazing. Because he spends it just going, ah! What are you doing? No! Stop it! It's like a low-level panic attack the entire yeah. rest of the episode for him. Essentially watching some idiot take yeah. his beautiful ship out. For yeah. Ter- it's it's like a dad who is it's prom. He's got a daughter who he loves very much, wants only the best for him. And then who shows up as her prom date? But like grossy McMotorcycle face. Who's <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> I can't even think of who a close relative of Bodie McBoat face. <laughs> okay, the Winter Soldier shows up <laughs> on his motorcycle. You're like. Yeah. All I can do is watch and hope for the best. Yeah. And of course, Dicker is just on the bridge, like, losing his mind. Just keep shooting! Just keep shooting! But and everyone's like, this is doing literally nothing. The lasers! They do nothing! Yeah. They bounce right off. I don't know what he thinks he's going to achieve, because they're a phaser bank, so there's a limited amount of phasers so that, that they can do. Yeah, and eventually and they'll burn out. wasting it. Oh, but Crane, he has righteousness on his side. Okay. But apparently that is not a weapon that works on that neutronium work either. On whales. No. Righteousness does not work on whales. No, there's a whole book about that. It bounces right off. There is, however, uh, while they are, they do get like the, the impulse engines working barely on the constellation because her's like, get me back to my ship right now. And um, there is some A plus plus tilting acrobatics. Oh, there's some good stuff. Yeah. Like everyone does some really good like ah! yep. flinging. Yeah. Um, and Kirk's plan is to be bait, to distract the monster, which is trying to eat the Enterprise. Yeah, so the it has it, uh, it the monster has a tractor, beam, basically, yeah. which is pretty incredible. Like, well done designers of your giant death machine. Well done. Yep. So, yeah, like, and he's like, no, we're just going to go in. And at a certain point, they're like, the people on the Enterprise are like, uh, okay, this has gone too far. Yeah. You are essentially trying to commit suicide. And this has been an attempted suicide. Yeah. So now you are unfit for command. Yeah. Spock essentially just like logics this guy right out of the boss chair. Yep. And then sits back in the chair where he should have been all along. Well, yeah, they're about to be pulled outside and Decker is just like thrilled about this. 
And Kirk is having such a bad day. And I realized what I also really liked about this episode, there's no captain's logs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not Because I felt like when he was staring at the Enterprise being sucked into the giant cream horn. He All should, he can do is stare. Yeah, no diary entry. I was like, oh, that's He's too horrified. But Kirk nice. does this very clever thing where he brings the constellation just close enough to distract the monster. So it breaks off its attack on the Enterprise and goes after them instead. And then the Enterprise distracts them, distracts the monster long enough that it breaks off its attack on the constellation. And then the monster, I guess, gets frustrated and goes, fine, whatever, turns around and continues in the direction of all of the squishy, delicious planets. And Decker, Decker says, good job, Jim. Between the two of us, we'll kill that thing. And all I wrote down was, this is not the lesson. (laughs) This is not what we should be taking away from this encounter. Yeah, so they're finally able to communicate back with the ship. And um, Kirk essentially picks up the phone and says, Where's Spock? And Decker's yeah. like, no, I'm in charge now. And he's like, shut up and give me Spock. No, I'm in charge. Shut up. Where's Spock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. It's like, remember when everyone had landlines and you were trying to talk to your friends, but instead you got like the little sister. Yeah. Like, oh, she's not here right now. Shut up. I know she's there. Just I can hear her, her yelling phone. in the background. Yeah. 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 It was very much like that. Yeah. Um, he's like, who is, you are a lunatic for trying to destroy my ship. Give me Spock. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Spock and Kirk are both like, yeah, you, we need to get the fuck out of this thing's sphere of influence so that we can contact Starfleet. It's great. Decker is essentially like, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Attack. Attack. And Kirk is like, not with my ship. Yeah. And Spock's like, go to sickbay. You right already now. wasted your own ship. Your own yeah. ship. You're done. And this is here is the why we had two security guards yes. on the bridge yeah. this entire time. So they were right there to escort Decker to sickbay. They were very much Chekhov's gun, even though he was not in this episode. Chekhov's security guard. Chekhov's security guard. And their faces, when they're finally asked to step forward and do it, are so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> because what happens is Kirk orders Spock as the captain of the Enterprise to relieve Decker. And Decker still tries, like, yo, this is mutiny, this is blah, blah, blah. And Spock's like, okay, call the cops. We'll see you later. Balkans never bluff. Lies. <laughs> yeah, lies. definite lies. So they're definitely, so they only put one security guy on him to take him down to sick bay. Which is oh. dumb. Which is always a mistake. Which is 100% always a mistake. So, of course, he beats up the security guard and runs away. Although, I actually do want to note that the security guard made a pretty good showing. This is a longer fight than... Taking out the security guard and then going and doing whatever you want. Arian, I'm going to stop you right there. So Decker is an old guy. Yeah. He is not a young spring chicken. He's no. got a day old beard. We don't know what he's been eating for the past couple he's of weeks. not super fit. He's no. not very fit. But he's also crazy. Okay, that's fine. The security guard has at least two feet on him. Yeah. Is young and spry and has to squat, like we're talking full squat <laughs> down in order to be at the same height as this guy. I noticed because I'm like, that's a weird way to be like standing in a fight. And I realized that is so he could look almost equal to that guy. He is like crouched down like a frog. Well, we see them walking side by side for at least a minute or so. There is no way in hell that Decker would win this fight, even with like crazy well, Tallness energy. is not everything. Tallness helps because that guy actually knows what he's doing because he's a security guard, so he should well, know how to fight. Presumably, so Decker does the captain of the starship. Tallness helps because then you can just put your hand on the guy's forehead and watch him impotently flail at you. 
Well, I'm just saying he doesn't... That was a good move, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm just saying he doesn't just get knocked on the head and shoved out through a door like usually happens to redshirted security guards. Yeah, they didn't just get karate chucked up and he falls yeah. down. He at no. least gets to fight back for a minute. It's a very weird fight, guys. All fights on Star so Trek are weird. And again, coming back to my earlier issues with security on the Enterprise, Decker is able to sneakity sneak through the entire ship Yeah, to the shuttle bay, mm-hmm. yes. steal a shuttle... Yeah. Open and up the doors and like pilot himself out, and we get and uh, it, nobody can stop him. Ain't no, no big thing. They don't Why know, is there no one guarding the they bay don't itself? Know he's doing this until he's out the door. And Why is there like, like huh, there's a light on my console just for when the shuttle bay is escaping? Uh, yeah, I should mention this. Yeah, that's bonkers. Why isn't there like a, a key code on the shuttle bay door? Why isn't there like keys for the shuttle? <laughs> Well, it, you just it, walk in and it works for anyone? It just makes me think there's, I don't even remember what episode it is, but in early next gen, there's some sort of distraught teenager yeah, yeah, yeah. who tries to steal a shuttlecraft. And like, he gets in there and he like starts up the shuttlecraft and then alarms start blaring while the door is coming up as like a warning and they yeah. know immediately, oh, someone's launching a shuttlecraft. Yeah. That's not right. They also explain it away in that case because he's like, a pilot in training, yeah, and I mean, so he does have access codes yeah, to the shuttle bay. But the door to shuttle bay opens up into space. Yeah. We're talking space. Mm-hmm. Hungry, angry, cold, <laughs> motherless space. <laughs> that is a coffee mug I want. Hungry, angry, cold, motherless space. <laughs> you, you, you and I, and you, we should not be able to just poke up to a spaceship and open the door to space. No. no. Space rips you apart from the inside. Yes. You should not be able to open the door to that. Kareem, I'm agreeing with you here. Oh, yeah. sorry. I'm <laughs> arguing with the engineers, You're, which I'm comfortable doing here. You, yeah, you're arguing with the writers oh. who did not do their job correctly. Yeah. That is fair. And Sulu is not like, oh my god, guys. Guys, guys, guys. He's like, Huh. <laughs> and everyone else in the bridge is shocked by this news. The like, are you really gone. surprised? Like, really? And then it's Decker, of course. Yeah. Like, and everyone's shocked. The, the, what? the one-shot guest star stole the shuttlecraft? Uh, My god! Never would have guessed that. Yeah, so Decker's plan is to just ram it. For lack of a better word. Is to ram it himself down its throat. Mm-hmm. And blow himself up. Okay, no. His plan is, as far as we know, because he never articulates anything else, is to just drive himself inside. Yeah. That's all. Except what actually happens is the shuttle explodes. He doesn't know that. No, but I... He never says that. His plan is to just go down his throat. Not phaser it from the inside, just to go down his throat. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No. Thank you, Ari. It does not make any sense. Because this is not necessarily about, at this point... It is not necessarily about making a mission to destroy this thing. That will be a happy side effect. He is going to commit suicide. As soon as he was relieved from duty from the captain's chair on the Enterprise and escorted out, he has decided he is going to commit suicide, and that's what this is about. Yeah, except what he says is that he's going to destroy it by flying into it. Like, that's what he says he's doing. I mean, definitely he is committing suicide, but he thinks... Or at I least think, he says. I, I agree that he thinks it's for some kind of noble cause that it will destroy the monster. He thinks that think it will damage delusional. it. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely I think he's delusional. delusional. I think he's delusional from the second they wake him up. 
Well, see, if he had, like, also stolen some kind of bomb or set the shuttle to self-destruct or anything like well, that. Well, apparently it does explode. Doesn't. I don't I, I don't know if that was just, like, they left a bit out or something because it does explode. And there's no reason to believe that it would necessarily do that unless it was something, like, he set it to overload or something. It isn't clear. It's not explained. I, I would prefer to go with Kim's explanation. That essentially, he is just talking himself into a suicide mission. Yeah, I don't see why both can't be true. Fine. He says... And they're like, oh, you'll be killed. Raving, like, raving. Yeah, I, I, a, a commander is responsible for the, the lives and deaths of so his crew. He, I think here he says he's been prepared to die since I killed my crew. Yeah. I really like the line, the, the, the captain, or in his case, he's a commander, is responsible for both the lives and the deaths yeah. of the crew. Yep. It was great. Really good line. Yeah. And, he's, and Kirk is trying to argue with him, which is nonsense. He might as well just have said fine. Um... <laughs> Is that, you know, you're throwing your life away, <laughs> your experience and judgment mean so much. Again, what yeah. you brought up earlier, Ari, that you're, we're stronger with you than without you. Not true. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know that, but it would, we don't know that. Again, So far, he's just made a mess. He is, And almost destroyed the Enterprise. But he has actively harmed the mission. What Kirk says is that it was an error in judgment. Yeah. Which any one of us could have made. And I liked that because it wasn't necessarily that he did the wrong thing. No. He just... Yeah. And I think that's the thing is it's, it was something that could have been done by anyone and nobody could have foreseen whatever mm-hmm. happened. And it's... Yeah. He's just... It's it's like he's being driven by survivor's guilt this entire time. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. just desperate to fix what was... What, fix his mistake. So if he can destroy this machine... Yeah. It'll make the deaths of his 400 crew members worthwhile in some is, way. It can't just be destroyed. It has to be him that does it. He has to make the sacrifice. You're very right, Kim, about the survivor skill. But what makes this really awful is that we do get some really good close-ups on his face. Yeah. Um, as he is eventually consumed by the cream horn. But also that everyone on both bridges... I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Consumed by the cream horn. <laughs> cream horn revenge! <laughs> Okay, this is dark. So not only do we have to watch him his death, yeah, but everyone on both ships, so Kirk, who is now in his in command of his old ship, his old empty ship, empty of everyone. Yeah. Um, everyone dead. But also everyone on the Enterprise has to sit there and watch it. Yeah, we it's a very it's very lovingly depicted, like every second of it going into that thing's mouth and, and then sh- disappearing. And it should be it's I think it's a great I think the way they covered it was great and then it doesn't pull any punches, it doesn't try and sugarcoat what's happening. Mm-hmm. It is just you are watching this man commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is very powerful. And Shatter oh Shatter looks very, very tired after that. And what I really like is that Spock Pipes up and says, "My condolences on the death of a friend." Yeah, mm-hmm. he died for nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Oh, so except, except Sulu pipes up and says, "So after the shuttle exploded, there was there has been a minute power drop." And Spock looks at his readings and he says, "Well, it's not much, but." And Kirk jumps on. He's like, "Okay, but is it enough to say that?" the shuttle exploding inside of that thing actually did something to its power levels. And they're like, yeah, pretty much looks like that. Could be. So Kirk's plan, he turns to Scotty and says, Scotty, can you blow this ship up? Scotty says, I can blow anything up. (laughs) (laughs) 
no worries. He's so excited. So they put it on a 30 second delay and they're and essentially going to shove that ship down the throat. So yeah. it will again. also be consumed by the cream horn. <laughs> <laughs> again, I, I love, I really actually like how this monster is dispatched. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like stuff going on. Like, like yeah. that the Commodore sacrifice wasn't entirely in vain. And that the ship like that has the ghost remnants, like the souls that carried those souls through space into their ultimate is death, the weapon that is the weapon that destroys it. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. So it's on a 30 second delay. So Scotty gets out and they're working on the transporters. Oh, yeah. The transporters are still broken. <laughs> And Kirk's yeah. plan is, I'm going to go in there and you're going to beam me out at the last second. Okay, question. Mm. Why? Why not just turn on the 30 second delay and then boodle your way out of it? Because there? they establish about 10 minutes before this that it doesn't go after things outside of a certain radius. They actually have to get the ship close enough to. Yeah. And I don't think they can remote navigate it. It's too broken or something. Man, nonsensey, nonsensey, nonsense. Narrative reasons. Yeah, so they beam up Scotty first, and it's not really working, of course. Yeah, because Scotty beams back in, and it takes a worryingly long time for him to materialize. And the second he's solid, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with that transporter? <laughs> he shoves them aside yeah. and starts jerry-rigging things. And of course, it's like down to the wire, because this is original series, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They have yep. jerry-rig it, is going to work, is Kirk going to die? Sulu gets really sweaty. Yeah. Oh, and the transporter oh. keeps exploding. Yeah, like, it's yeah. explosions. Boom! Because there's, yeah. there's a bunch of different pads there, and they just keep, like, like fuses are being... Little flashbangs. Sparks everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, they essentially get shorted out. Kirk is so bloody noble. <laughs> just yeah. stands there being like, guys, 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 yeah. guys. <laughs> Where Scotty is, in like, cr- like hunched angrily in Jeffrey's tube, like, messing around with things. Try it now. Nope. Try it now. Poor God damn it. Scotty. In one year, yeah. he's got Kirk going, gentlemen, beam me aboard, please. In the other one, he has Spock going, Mr. Scott, Mr. Scott, Mr. Yeah. Scott, Mr. Scott. It's a wonder that Scotty doesn't turn around and murder everyone. <laughs> Maybe just knowing that he has the power to do so at literally any moment is a comfort to him. Maybe that's how season four was going to end. <laughs> and, and on top of that, I'm just going to add, Sulu is counting down. Yeah. Well, he starts S- and then he stops. I assume Shut because someone up, punched Sulu. him. Shut up. Just give yeah. it a rest. Um, anyways, of course, Kirk gets beamed up in time. The cream horn explodes into creamy goodness. Um, and of course, we don't... The bases of the transporter technicians, when Kirk finally beams aboard, are like, Oh, thank God! Yeah. <laughs> That's the yeah. oh. transporter tech that we've seen before. Is it Mr. Kyle? He's been around. Like, he shows up yep. like, all the time. Yep. I'm just realizing he's a recurring character. Yep. So Kirk, of course, runs aboard to see what happens. And Spock says, welcome aboard, Captain. Except not in that tone of voice at all. <laughs> I, I want to actually pause and go back just a teeny bit. Because while Sulu is counting down, he's also reading off the distance between the constellation and the monster. He's reading it off in miles. Oh, yeah, I did notice that. He didn't do that. He hasn't done that every time. It's, but this time he did. The last couple of times we've done space distances, it's been kilometers. This time it was miles, and it really, so really stood out to me and really bugged me. Internal consistency is not well, something you would never use miles on a spaceship. Either. You would use kilometers. You would use the metric system. You just would. They go back and forth. And it's like fucking a stupid. Match. It's probably based on whoever is writing with Yeah, I think so, too. And they don't think they have the Tech Bible people yet. I don't think they did until they have next who gen. Are looking over things, but by the time we hit next gen, we had someone whose only job it was 
to keep track of what they had said recently and in the past about the technology of the Enterprise and also to do all of the tech dialogue. So they would write the scripts mm-hmm. and they'd go, and then they'd have in brackets, tech speak. And then someone would go back in later and I fill it in. Job. Right? Me too. Hey, CBS. We're almost getting through all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Kirk sees the, the monster is dead, tra-la-la. And Kirk's First thing is not to give Scotty a couple of days off for doing such a baller job. Yeah. But to say, get back to work on getting my ship back to awesomeness. <laughs> yeah. At, at which point, they kind of had this kind of weird dancey conversation about poor Matt. He gave his life to save others. Did he? No. Did he? No, no. He didn't. He did not. No. And, they, and Kirk says that his logs and Spock agrees that he died in the line of duty. Yeah. He's going to make him right. sound better and he's going to leave stuff out. Which is so interesting. For I don't know how I feel about this. It's, it's Because he, he suggests it. He's so, I assume that you're going to, you know, the log will not reflect, you know, the crazy bullshit that he pulled. It's very merciful. It yeah, is. it is extremely merciful. It's to, to hide the fact that, like, I mean, assuming we're, I, I think we're the sixties is a point of time where suicide is not something that's, it's, shameful and it's certainly never said do. on television so something that you would hide from people that somebody committed suicide i think it was supposed to be yeah, a very noble gesture but i also think it was like he like did incredibly unwise things he almost destroyed the enterprise he willingly and knowingly endangered the lives of this crew for no good reason so i think it's both no he, but what i really like about this is that he was not in his right no mind. he and definitely think, was not i think what i what I really liked about this episode is that both Kirk and Spock recognized that he was not mentally responsible for his actions. No, he definitely yeah. wasn't. Although I'm really of two minds about leaving the truth out of the log because mm, we've already talked about how Starfleet really needs a better mental health infrastructure and keeping the fact that some captain went nuts and tried to destroy a second ship well, is maybe I, not for the best of everyone. This is extraordinary circumstances. Still. That what purpose would it serve to drag his legacy through the mud at this point? And we know that Starfleet does not allow captains or commodores to have errors or lapses. Well, again, that changes later. It does change later. Like, later on we have I don't see the purpose of them saying this, that a gentleman who was essentially mentally incapacitated from the moment they yeah. showed up. But even just they, the fact that he was incapacitated is valuable information that might serve to save others in the future. Like, I'm this is what might sure happen it, under stress. They do this in the real military. They keep, When you lose your entire ship and it's entirely your fault. And you of why and when and die. how and where people make errors in judgment and how it happens and what it does to the human mind. And I don't know that it was an error in judgment. I think... Or that, the fact that he just broke... I think anyone would break under Of course they would. I hope you would. Yeah. If you're not, there's... I mean, I would I would, I would, would be like, fine, if you're not going to tell his family what happened, there's no purpose to be served in that. But I don't think hiding the truth in the official log is necessarily the right thing to do. It's very noble. I don't know if it's wise. I don't know that they are hiding the truth because the logs of everything that's said on the bridge are recorded by a video camera that is in the true. top left-hand corner. But that his <laughs> that his final action was that he died in the line of duty, trying to sacrifice himself for the rest for the for to the save everybody. Yeah, I rather think, than sure. he flew a ship into this thing to kill himself. Yeah, there's yeah. 
there's there's a difference there, and I think I think that that was the, the merciful thing to do mm-hmm. um, for him. We wrap up with again our bizarre H bomb metaphor. Yeah, I think this was supposed to be an MAD thing. It was very vague. MAD mentally uh, assured destruction. Oh, okay, yeah. fine. Um, yeah, like oh, because that's why they threw that whole ancient civilizations weapon of mass destruction thing. Yeah, do we know there could be any number of these kinds of weapons wandering Kirk's around? Kirk's like, I really don't want to think about that, Spock. And then cutie shot of Kirk. Yeah. Doesn't Kirk say something like, it's the first time an H-bomb has been used for constructive purposes? It's the first time a weapon yeah. of mass destruction was used for constructive purpose. What's what? that a constructive what the purpose? weapon of mass destruction? The, the cream horn. But a, the ship is not a weapon of mass destruction. Then I don't well, the explosion what, was. I don't understand I don't what they were talking about, because the cream horn certainly wasn't used for any kind of construction purpose. Constructive no, no purposes. it wasn't at all. And I don't think that even destroying the cream horn could technically be defined as a constructive purpose. Protective, sure. Strategic, yeah. But constructive, it's they destroyed it. I think we're going to come pretty hard down on that. Made no sense. It made no sense. They really wanted to make an MAD reference. Um, Kim, performance of the episode. Uh, Leonard Nimoy Mm. for his amazing stone cold. I am an angry Vulcan face. (laughs) Um, Ari, James Doohan for not murdering anyone either in or out of character. No, that is fair. Um. I am not awarding a performance of the episode. I'm only doing anti-performance <laughs> <laughs> to William Wyndham. Although he did have some really good moments. So I'm both awarding him performance of the episode and then not performance of the episode at the same time. Hmm. He's a paradox of performance. <laughs> mm. and that, there are parts of it that I thought he was excellent. And then he really sold really well. And it parts came of it went. where he was just nomming down on the scenery like no one's business. Hmm. Okay, there's nomming down on ser- scenery. And then there's nomming down on scenery. Like if we're talking like Charlize in Snow White and the Huntsman, like, that is what I enjoy watching. <laughs> no, yes. this this was like the space cream horn of scenery chewing. Like, instead of chewing on it, you blow it into tiny pieces and then devour it for, for fuel. Yeah, I feel, I just, I wish, I wish that he had been a stronger actor in other parts of it. But I didn't hate him. I really effectively hated him as soon as he stepped oh, on yeah. the Enterprise. Oh, yeah, 150% hated him. We had to stop the episode him. a couple of times, and usually we do not, we watch it in total silence. We kept it. both saying, hate this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hate this guy. Yeah. 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 Um, life lesson, Kim. Oh, this one was really hard. Um, I, uh, I don't even know what my life lesson coming out of this is. Uh, come back to me. Okay. Ari. Oh, God. I was hoping that she would buy me time. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough one to take lessons away from. Because, um, I mean, like, what do you, what's your life lesson going to be? Like, don't give in to revenge? Um, don't be Ahab. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good one. Let the white whale go, except in this situation they couldn't because the whale was going to eat everyone. Yeah. Get help for your mental illness. Like, I don't, I don't know what we're, so, like, what lesson we're supposed to learn Don't here. be that guy. Yeah, but again, we're operating under the assumption that he had a mental break. Yeah. So it's, it's not really him. I don't, it's, it's tough in this episode because it's very, very dark. Mm-hmm. There's no real winners in this episode. No. Like, the, there's just returning to the status quo. The colonists of Rigel 7, obviously. Yes. Yeah, and live. the entire rest of the Milky Way. Yeah. I, uh, okay, well... I don't know. I think don't be Ahab is a pretty solid life lesson in general. I think I think if I'm looking at Kirk's behavior towards Decker, at least initially, I think my life lesson would be there's always room for compassion. Oh, but I don't care about that. <laughs> there's always room, but there's not always time. No. Mm. That was my thing. It's like, yeah, he could be more human, but there's a giant... 
planet eating cream horn outside. Yeah. We need information. Yeah. Don't make H bombs. I think that's don't, what the lesson they were attempting to don't make something that you're not prepared to use. Yeah. It's kind of like don't point a gun at anything you don't want to destroy. Yeah. It's like yeah, don't don't create anything that could be caused that could be used. I mean, it's kind of like the handgun versus the rifle argument and that the rifle can be used for practical constructive purposes. You can use it for food. The handgun is there to destroy other people. Mm. So, you know, it's like don't create weapons that are designed explicitly to hurt people because that that is how they will be used. If you are not planning on hurting someone. Yeah. I think my other thing would be is that if someone is in an incredibly tense situation trying to get something done, try not to have a (laughs) countdown in their ear. (laughs) Certainly not both ears. No. Yeah. Uh, Kim, your count. Um, We had one death during the episode, which was Decker. Mm. Um, But we also had 400 deaths before the show episode started. Plus, presumably, all the planets that the cream horn ate. We don't know that they were We don't know. No. Yeah. Um, Ari, your count. Uh, Eight ladies and seven people of color. Yeah, there there was a very busy bridge. Yeah. 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 And and all the engineering scenes, the the damage crew had uh, two people of color on it. So, yeah, there, there was pretty... For the 60s, an excellent mix. Although, you know, for all that we were up in arms about the weird blonde lady on the bridge, we didn't mention her once again, even though she was there for the whole time and talking the whole time, too. Yeah. She was really not very important. Well, no. She just didn't draw attention the way Michelle Nichols does, because, like, she was there to say the words, but she wasn't there to have a character. I think she gets a name, and then she just repeats, does the thing where she's repeating what the computer says. No, she's also trying to improve because there's a little bit of welding that goes on yeah. as well is that she's trying to improve so that they're able to contact Starfleet yeah. like in get rid of the subspace nonsense but she, I don't know the, the writers didn't make any effort to actually bring her into the story or make her a character I, I mean I appreciate on the one hand that they didn't try and have anything to do with her like romance wise like Sulu wasn't sliding yeah, over there there was no romance like, in this episode hey Thank baby you, you want to go get space got like yeah I appreciate that, but at the same time, she was just kind of a non-entity. They didn't really do anything with her. It is nice to have an episode in a season in which we've already had many stupid episodes of ladies falling in love with people that they should maybe not. they should do on their off time. Oh. <laughs> um, so that was kind of nice. She was just she was just an officer doing a job. Yeah, which I think is. But there are other things you can do with characters than romance, and they didn't do anything. Yeah, but they didn't do anything with Sulu either. No, but we've had we've had stuff about him before, and she was like she was very clearly just there to fill a chair. Yeah, well, I don't think she'll be back. No, I don't think so either. Probably not. No, we get Michelle Nichols. I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So I don't watch. Keep one eye on your cream horns at all time, too, if, if necessary. Yeah. Oh, and uh, please review us on iTunes if you like this podcast. We like all those stars. Oh, yeah. We like stars like the Constellation. Although, oh. not that one anymore, because uh, that star went out. <laughs> like us. We are beaming out. Farewell. Farewell.